0: Stu does America. Twitter.com slash does America. We still call it Twitter here. If you're watching on YouTube, we still call that YouTube as well. Like the video right at this moment. Why wait for me to say something smart? Just just like it right now. I, no one's going to know. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. We appreciate it. Jacqueline Tobaroff is here to tell us about some American super moms. We now have a definitive answer as to whether Donald Trump will attend ne- next week's Republican debate. I'll give you the latest. But we start by doing The Blind Side. Ah, yes, The Blind Side. You remember the movie, right? Here it is, of course, The Blind Side. Very large man next to very small woman. Yes, that's the poster for The Blind Side. It's actually a fantastic story if you don't know it. It's a book originally by Michael Lewis, the author, who's one of my favorite authors. No conservative, by the way, but a a great author. And uh, he wrote this book years and years and years ago about this mom and, and family that took in a, uh, an underprivileged child uh, who was very large, uh, very large uh, child, um, but really had no direction in life at the time, kind of realized uh, after they brought him into their home that he was a really good athlete and uh, especially a football player, even though he never really played, he was learning the game. Uh, they gave him, sh- you know, showered him with all sorts of stuff, resources and, you know, the love of their family and brought them everywhere and b- embraced them. And eventually he turned into a pretty impressive player in uh, high school, grew, grew up, Michael Orr was his name. He grew up uh, after uh, high school and college uh, to make the NFL. It was a great story. Everyone loved it. Uh, you know, got an Oscar for, uh, for Sandra Bullock. It's a great, great story. Now, Sandra Bullock has been going through some really tough times lately. Uh, She lost her longtime partner, Brian Randall, who died at 57 after a battle with ALS. Just awful, awful tragedy. And now, because of some comments made by Michael Orr, the son in the movie, uh, he is basically turned on the family now. He's saying, actually, none of that was true. Uh, they screwed me over. They told me they, they adopted me, and they just put me in some Britney Spears-type conservatorship. they took away, taken away all my power, all my money. They never gave me any money from the movie, and on and on and on and on. And, and it's just really unfortunate that it has taken this direction, especially with what Sandra Bullock is going for. And now, of course, the stupid Internet um, is now coming after Sandra Bullock. They want her Oscar to be returned. Why? That's not how movies work. Most movies you watch are fictional, so it really isn't like it You know, happens with a movie. Uh, her job acting has nothing to do with whether the story is true at all. But my contention here is that the story as told is true. That's what I believe. I don't think that there is some big conspiracy to take away Michael Orr's money. And unfortunately, I think this is going in a really wrong direction based on untruth. Uh, now, look, we don't know for sure. But let me lay out some of the evidence here. Uh, by the way, the, author, the actor who played Michael Orr in this movie, when it came to these accusations that Sandra Bullock should lose her Oscar, said, eh, shut up, basically sit down, uh, stay home, sit down and get a job, was his response, which, I don't know, I really appreciated. We talked to Jason Whitlock about this earlier today. And one of the things here, um, as we go off of the Oscar story here, is, is this movie based on a lie? Now, I will again reiterate that you don't lose your Oscar because your movie, movie isn't truthful. If that were the case, there'd be no Oscars because there's always different things told in movies. No one's saying it's an exact, uh, it's not a documentary, and even documentaries are constantly filled with lies. So we all know what Hollywood does with movies, but the movie was largely truthful, largely, I would argue, um, faithful to the book, uh, we talked to Jason Whitlock earlier today, who went into the fact of is this based on lies? You know what's going on with this Oscar uh, in our interview on Glenn Beck Radio earlier today.
1: Yesterday, I saw a tweet that uh, you know the Oscars should be given back because it was all <laughs> a lie. And uh,
0: is it a lie? Was this all no. a lie?
1: No, not at all. And and I can say that having. Reread the book, The Blind Side, published in 2006. Read Michael Orr's memoir, his first one in 2011, uh, I Beat the Odds. Having rewatched the movie, I Did All This This Week, no, it's, it's not all a lie. Uh, it's actually, the movie is actually pretty accurate. Uh, to the book, and to and, and Michael Orr endorsed the book in his 2011 memoir, and in subsequent interviews the year since, he has said he liked, liked the book, but he didn't like the way the movie portrayed him as dumb and as, you know, not totally responsible for his own success. And so then you go back and reread the book The Blind Side which he says he endorses and and the movie portrays him not only fairly but yeah. probably in a more far more positive and uplifting light than 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 the book did. Th- this kid came to that family with some severe problems. He couldn't read at age 16 and he had to be taught how to shake hands. He didn't engage with people. He had faced so much neglect, trauma, abandonment from ages zero to 15 or 16 that, you know, he was embarrassingly shy and reclusive, couldn't yeah. read.
0: Um, first of all, we should, you know, give a little credit to me sitting in the studio by myself. What an incredible performance in that interview. Just sitting there listening patiently as Glenn was on the road. Um, but. As I've looked at this, and I've tried to analyze the information, we don't know everything yet, but it does seem like Michael Orr is lying for some reason. Um, That's my belief. It's my view. I don't have all the evidence to back it up, but let's look at the evidence that we do have here, and it's significant. The question you have to ask here is, did Michael Orr blow through a bunch of his money and now needs more? I don't know if that's true, because he was an NFL player. He wasn't a great NFL player, but he was an adequate NFL lineman for a number of years. He made a decent amount of cash in the NFL. You'd think that he'd be okay and wouldn't need to be doing something like this, but he does have a book coming out, and there's more to that. Now, The son. uh, so if if you remember the movie, you remember the book, uh, Michael Orr comes into a family um, that's already, you know, it's already a nuclear family, right? S. J. Tui was the son uh, of uh, of uh, the 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 Tui family, and uh, he went on Barstool Sports uh, the other day to kind of talk about these accusations, and here he is um, because one of the big accusations that Michael Orr is making is, hey. They told me, this family told me they loved me and they wanted to adopt me and and then they, they told me they were going to adopt me and they didn't adopt me. And they put me in this conservatorship, which is completely unfair. And, you know, the word conservatorship has a really negative connotation now because of the whole Britney Spears thing. People heard about that for the first time. Seemed unfair with Britney Spears to a lot of people. So they're like, oh, well, that's obviously evil. Anyone who does that is evil. Now, of course, that's not true at all. But that is the way uh, people think about this at this point. So the question was, did he know he was not adopted? Did he know he was in a conservatorship way back then? Here's the son of the family, SJ. Come
2: preface in case someone says this This, this freaking guy I'm not going to listen to him anymore. I'm, I'm going to preface by saying that um, I, I love Mike at 16. I love Mike at now he's what, 16 and a half years old 37 um, and I love him at 67. So there, there's not going to be any legal dossier or, or um, thing that happens that's going to maybe you know, go like, screw that guy. It's, it's not the case. I'm, I'll be mad at him. Um, but to your initial point, no, I mean, if he says he learned that in February, I find that hard to believe. There's so I went back to my text today to look at, uh, I was curious today, randomly, to go back to look at our family group text and, and text to see what things had been said. And there were things back in 2020, 2021 that, that were like, you know, if you guys give me this much, then I won't go public with things. And um, So I don't know that's true. I think everyone learned in the past year about the, the conservative stuff because of Britney Spears. So maybe that's the case.
0: Hmm. Very, very uh, questionable that he actually was uh, in this situation at all. Um, now, of course, uh, as, as uh, Jason Whitlock pointed out, it's not just the, the word of, of the Tui family here. Um, if you go back to Michael Orr's own book that he wrote in 2011, he says this quite clearly. Uh, Michael Orr was aware the Tui's were conservators. He wrote about it in his book. Let me give you the quotes. It kind of felt like a formality, as I'd been part of the family for more than a year at that point. Since I was already over the age of 18 and considered an adult by the state of Tennessee, Sean and Leanne would be named as my legal conservators. Or said, Michael continued. They explained it to me that it means pretty much the exact same thing as adoptive parents, but that the laws just weren't written in a way that took my age into account. Honestly, I didn't care what it was called. I was just happy that no one would argue with me, that we weren't legal. Uh, we weren't legally what we already knew we we sorry, the way this worded is a little confusing, that we weren't legally what we already knew was real. We were a family. And of course, that is what he said for years and years after he wrote his book as well. He believed this. Now, there's some reason for him to uh, complain that I think is uh, like certainly there's a complaint that is legitimate here. I just don't think it's against the Dewey family whatsoever. Here is uh, Sean Tui Jr. talking about you know the payments received from uh, from the movie. He claims that uh, he didn't get anything basically from the movie, while the tui got rich. Is that true? Here's the response.
2: I get it, wise Matt. I completely understand. Um, and. It stinks that it'll play on a very public stage. Uh, but I think there were 16 years of, or I don't know how long it's been, but of, of people that took positive things from the movie, there'll be some now 16 years of things that people think negative of it. Um, that, that part sucks, but like, oh well, you know.
0: <laughs> now he's talking about, of course, the, the, the movie itself and, and why he's frustrated he didn't get a lot of money uh, from it. The two attorneys have, have outlined what happened here. Obviously, it's their side of the story, but there seems to be documentation to back this up. Tui attorneys say Michael Orr received $100,000 in the blindside profits, same as everyone in the family. Each member of the Tui family, including Michael Orr, received $100,000 from the profits of the blindside, the family's attorney said Wednesday. That claim comes two days after a former uh, Briarcrest Christian star and NFL offensive lineman filed a petition in Shelby County Probate Court seeking to end the conservatorship, agreed to in 2004, on his name and financial dealings with the Tui. Or his petition states that he never received any money from the Academy Award uh, nominated film, that the TUIs earned millions of dollars. We'll see. I mean, the court will be able to decide and see exactly if that's true. It's going to be a heck of a surprise if it is true, considering the fact that the TUIs, uh, you know, are. these are not people who are unsophisticated. Uh, he had sold, you know, hundreds of restaurants, made hundreds of millions of dollars off of that. He is, I think, still one of the announcers for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's been around for a long time. You know, an impressive businessman in his own right. It's also sort of the reason why you'd be surprised if he was trying to screw his this kid out of. You know, a few hundred thousand dollars here and there doesn't make much sense. He's got plenty of money, but you never know. Uh, so we'll check his claims. I also will say this about the whole movie industry. It's, it's a little weird, right? Like, this movie was supposed to probably be moderately successful. Though I will say, as someone who really likes Michael Lewis's books, they're not obviously movies most of the time. The Blind Side is probably the clearest one uh, that, that could to turn into a movie. But, like, you don't look at a Michael Lewis book and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to make an amazing movie. They've made amazing movies out of Michael Lewis books, like Moneyball, uh, for example, and The Big Short. But, like, you read The Big Short, you're not like, oh, this movie jumps off the page about these, uh, you know, uh, about shorting the housing market in 2008. Like, that, you know, it doesn't really jump off the page as a movie. They made it into a movie. So I don't know that you thought this was going to make $200 million. It wound up making those $200 million. You think if you're a movie company, maybe you're a tad more generous. Maybe you go back and rewrite the agreement and throw a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks more at these guys who gave you this incredible story. Maybe there's something written into the contract that if it's a certain level of success, maybe people benefit a little bit more. It's look, it's a cutthroat industry. I know they don't have to do it. Contracts matter, but still. Shouldn't you do that? I don't know. It seems like you should, Uh, but you can guarantee that the paperwork exists. This family that's owned all these restaurants and made hundreds of millions of dollars didn't just like come up with a handshake with the movie company. Ah, sure. Throw us some money at the end if it does well. That's not how this stuff works. Now, the uh, claims from the family that Michael uh, or demanded 15 million dollars and threatened to plant. A negative story. If they, I mean, they better have evidence of that. But you know, they've already talked about having the text to back that up, and it just makes the whole story sad. Now, Michael Lewis, who is the author of the book and, and many other uh, great bestsellers, um, did talk about this. Uh, and you know, if you read the book, it's not like he just was coming along saying, "Hey, this is an interesting story I read about in a paper. I'll write a book about it." He was there for a lot of this stuff. He was a first-person participant in many of these conversations and observed this going on at the time. He says, everybody should be mad at the Hollywood studio system, Lewis told the Washington Post. Michael Orr should join the writer's strike. It's outrageous how Hollywood accounting works, but the money is not in in the Tui's pockets. What I feel really sad about is I watched the whole thing up close, Lewis said. They showered him with resources and love. That he's suspicious of them is breathtaking. The state of mind that one has to be in to do that I feel sad for him. And you know, I'll point out, too, that Michael uh, Lewis is not not a big conservative. He's not some guy who's just arguing for, he's certainly no racist. Uh, oh, I want the black person to not get money while the white family gets it. That's not a Michael Orr type, or Michael, Orr or, uh, Michael uh, Lewis type position. But I want to get back into a little bit more of where this is going here. Jason Whitlock talked about this as well on the Glenn Beck program earlier today.
1: And this is where it goes back to the message everybody should be taking from this is just like hey man, family and upbringing, those first formative years of a child are so vital, so important. If they're damaged in the womb from not being properly cared for, the mother being a crack addict, and if they're abandoned and neglected as a child, these ramifications will go on for a lifetime. And as best I could tell from his 2011 memoir and from reading The Blind Side, he's never gotten that type of therapy and treatment that he obviously needs. And so I think he's come up on hard times. He's written a new book, uh, When Your when You're Back's Against the Wall. It's out right now. I think he's hyping his book. I think he hopes that there someone, some Hollywood producer, Netflix, someone to say, Hey, let's do a remake of the blind side and tell it the proper way and and make the black kid the hero and the white people evil, and let's cut Michael Orr a big check for the new blind side.
0: Oh man, first of all, I had no idea I was on camera that long. But secondly, um that seems like exactly what's going to happen here, right? The Colin Kaepernick division of Netflix is going to come calling and say, well, we need to tell this whole story again, but tell it the true way, Michael. We'll tell the story where, you, where this family are a bunch of evil people. Uh, that's really a s- sad turn and so, de- so depressing. And I will say, if this is all proven to be false and he's, a, he's shown to be a liar, we can all be promised that he will not be blamed. In fact, then we know it will be CTE's fault. They will blame uh, head injuries during football. That's why he did this. There will be no responsibility uh, for this if it's proven to be false. Uh, look, if this whole story is false, I would like to know about that. I mean, we don't we don't need fake stories to make ourselves all feel good. But darn it, doesn't this seem like the type of thing that we're using to to tear down a great story? You know, we were supposed to be in a post-racial time after Barack Obama was uh, lab- was. Uh, Elected president, and instead what we've seen is a total reversal of every bit of progress we've seen when it comes to race. It's really sad. Uh, we've seen that all torn down. Here's an example of, of black people, white people coming together to do something fantastic. Let's tear that down to the ground. And it really is a story not only of racial relations being torn down, but something maybe even more core to humanity and what's really, really important, as Jason outlined today.
1: One of the subtle points of this remaking, recasting of the blind side and the way the media is covering it, it the underlying message is that, hey, uh, pr- the nuclear family being raised properly, that's all irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is, uh, you know, did you face racism? and And it's like the family and upbringing we're pretending like this didn't damage this young man incredibly and that the Tui family and many other families at this private school and friends tried to put a broken child back, back together, together and send right. him along his way and it's it's all so- being denigrated right now and this rewriting of history that we it's, it's just the blind side is just another statue being torn down
0: it's just another statue being torn down man it's just so true how often are we doing this these days and it seems to be the same people over and over and over again doing it in the media. They love the story. They love the fact that this wonderful story that we all saw happen, that there's tons and tons of evidence, is a true story, is being ripped to shreds, and now we can all point fingers at each other. And and black people can hate white people, and white people can hate black people, again, safely. Um, And we can all look at this and say, well, the the whole nuclear family, it's a scam. You know, it it wasn't like he was welcomed with open arms warmly into a wonderful household and that turned his life around. No, no. Actually, that screwed up his life. They stole money from him. This is so pathetically predictable. And it's the same thing as you see a Ben Franklin or Abraham Lincoln coming down in a town square. They're going after our institutions. They want to destroy all the things that make this country uh, and honestly, humanity in general, so great, we should not let them do it.
1: Does America. Now
0: we're going to be talking about uh, one of those foundations, great moms, coming up here in just a second. Let me tell you about Grip Six. Let's say you have a great dad. For example, they want a new wallet. They want some new socks. They want a new belt. Things that are foundational principles, foundations of a great outfit. you got to have that going. GRIP 6 has got it going on for you. And like GRIP 6 does it in a different way. You can get socks from other people. You can get belts from other people. You're not going to get the quality of GRIP 6, but you can get stuff that's going to hold your pants up. The issue here, though, of course, a lot of times is coming from China or some other country. It probably hates our guts. It's probably going to the pockets of people who want our nation destroyed. Grip6 doesn't play that game. They source everything here, right here in the United States. Grip6.com slash stew. Check out their stuff. Do business with companies that don't hate your guts. And you can save 15% with the code stew. The 6com slash stew. grip slash stew. Get 15% off today if you use the code stew at grip6.com slash stew. I want to bring in Jacqueline Toberoff. She is a contributor to Human Events and author of the new book, "Super Moms Activated, 12 Profiles of Hero Moms Leading the American Revival, which you can pick up now wherever you get your books. Jacqueline, thanks so much for coming on the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to talk to you. I, I, you, know, you you're talking about a very important uh, topic, maybe the most important topic, moms and what they do for this country. Uh, tell me why you decided to write this book.
3: So I wanted to preserve this moment in time from 2020, which was the beginning of the COVID pandemic and BLM, which ushered in CRT to 2022, which were the primaries. And it was a tectonic shift of mothers standing in the breach when no politician was and really activating and fighting on behalf of the American revival and the nuclear family.
0: Uh, you know, it really has been fascinating to watch that happen. I mean, obviously, moms have always been a very important voting block If you want to talk politically, it's always been the case. But, you know, seeing at least I know in my local community, I've seen examples of it around the country. Moms have changed. They've decided. I think the covid thing really did switch things up for everybody. They saw what their kids were learning in school on a firsthand basis. And they stood up and really changed the nation in just a couple of short years.
3: Yeah, so there are 85 million mothers in America. This is the largest voting bloc. And the Democrat Party really made the biggest misdirection play when they decided to go after mothers and call them domestic terrorists. Um, This offended mothers from both sides of the political aisle, whether uh, no matter what religion or race or socioeconomic background.
0: Now, what caught my eye uh, initially on your book was that you featured our own Sarah Gonzalez uh, in in the book, which, of course, we love Sarah here. Um, usually, if Sarah Gonzalez is going to be, uh, you know, mentioned in a book, it's going to be some attack thing and <laughs> screaming terrible things about her. You decided, though, to, to feature her actual story and what she's gone through and done. Can you can you? Talk to me a little bit about why you decided to to, uh, to pick Sarah to feature in the book, and also what 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 her story, what part of her story impressed you.
3: So Sarah was pivotal because she works in media and it was during this time from 2020 on that people had lost such tremendous faith in the media and ratings were plummeting, but hers were going up and she was focused on telling the truth, not sugarcoating it, um, not even necessarily providing all of the answers. Because if you remember at that time, we didn't have any, but it was just being a sounding board for other people parents for other people as to what was going on and not lying to us. Then, of course, there was this whole drag thing expose that she focused on. Um, Any parent with brain activity above plant life does not want their child or children sexually exploited. And this has nothing to do with being against transgenders or gays. It has everything to do with being against the sexual exploitation of children. So that was the other thing that I really loved that she focused on.
0: Yeah, she, I mean, she really went out there and, and she basically started a new organization. She's been out there exposing this stuff since the very beginning and fighting back for parents' rights. And I think that's one of the things that, that connected with so many moms when it came to the COVID period because you know they realized that like this, we're not talking about you know people who are 85 years old and infirmed. We're talking about people who are healthy, they're young, and they were asked to I think take the brunt of this, right? They were never really uh, affected by the, uh, the the virus itself in any you know serious way. Obviously there were examples, but generally speaking, they were the most resistant to the, uh, to the vac- to the, uh, to the, the virus itself. and then were asked to do the most. They were asked to sacrifice the most. They were asked to not see anybody, not go to school, stop their education, stop seeing their friends. And, you know, moms on the left and the right said, we're not doing this.
3: That's exactly what happened. Um, What happened was, is that children became, they, they became vectors of transmission in the eyes of adults, in the eyes of the left, in the eyes of the teachers union. I mean, what an abusive message to send to the most innocent and actually to the least impacted by this virus. You know, so much happened, but Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that 100,000 children were in serious danger due to COVID. It was a blatant lie. She never apologized for it. And at the time that she said it, only 4,000 were in actual, any sort of situation with COVID. And it was never discussed as to whether it was a serious situation, whether they had however many uh, comorbidities or any other ailments. So again, we were lied to from the very beginning. And then even after they knew about the learning loss and the uh, lack of efficacy of the masks, they kept pushing it on the youngest, on the most vulnerable, which were the children.
0: Mm, it really is a, It was a really tough time for our country. One thing that's interesting about your book is you don't just feature like big media, you know, personalities like Sarah. You talk about moms from kind of across the spectrum, all, all walks of life. Can you kind of tell us a couple of their stories here that kind of inspired you to go this direction?
3: Yeah. So one of the things that I did when we had the gubernatorial race here in New York was I helped organize a coalition for Lee Zeldin. It was called Moms for Lee. And I really looked to put into this coalition Democrat and independent moms. And one of the moms a Democrat, is Yatin Chu. She's in my book. Um, she has now become a leader of the parental rights movement. <laughs> was the first time she voted Republican. Then we have Madeline Brahm, whose son served two uh, tours in Afghanistan, and he survived the Taliban, but he could not survive the streets of New York City. He was killed, and his murderers were let go due to uh, a very... Lacks, if you even want to call it that social justice situation that we have here in New York City under Alvin Bragg. Uh, we have Tina Deskovich in the book. She's one of the co founders of Moms for Liberty, which has helped transform uh, school boards into pro parental rights majorities in some cases. We also have Olivia Barnard, who's a first time school board member. We have Kimberly Fletcher. She is founder of Moms for America. Callie Fontania, who is a former public school teacher. She exposed CRT that was being taught during a time that we were told it didn't exist. And she's gone on to start her own school. And we have just as I, you know, 12 powerhouses that activated
0: Mm, uh, it's really a cool thing. I mean, to see this all happen, and uh, you, you document it well in the book. Are you surprised, Jacqueline? Just from a, a political viewer, because uh, I, I am. I'm surprised by this. That like. Just politics 101 would tell you, don't piss off this group of people, right? Like, don't tell them they can't raise their own kids. Don't tell them as uh, Terry McAuliffe did in Virginia. Oh, well, it's actually we're going to be parenting your kids, not you. I mean, just from uh, that very cynical outlook, are you surprised how bad the left has been on this?
3: I quite frankly can't get over it. Here in New York City right now, we are battling. I have an article coming out on human events. Mayor Adams has decided to give away the only area, basically in New York City, Randall's Island, to illegals. He has taken away children's soccer. Um, This is as he signed a pledge to be one of the cities that potentially will host the final in the World Cup for FIFA. So you cannot make this up. They keep on going, they do not understand that parents have absolutely had enough and if you come for our kids, we will rip your face off.
0: (laughs) That's very, very true. Uh, One more thing, since you're in New York, we've been following the uh, illegal immigrant stories there. And what strikes me, a bunch of things strike me about this story, um, where you have a situation where they begged people to come there. They said they were a sanctuary city. This has happened in several cities across the country. Started kind of with Abbott and DeSantis and a few others shipping migrants up there in buses. But now it's also helped along by the policy decisions of the Biden White House, who basically rerouted people from the border when we lost Title 42 and said, oh, just fly into these cities and then then you can go in and there won't be any problems. What is the situation in in New York like? What's it like being there?
3: It's an absolute nightmare it is very unsafe being here i'm born and raised in manhattan the subway is a terrifying place it's inhumane what they're doing you see a new group of people on the subway selling things they are mothers presumably mothers with young children on their backs in their hands selling things you wonder where they've gotten these things you wonder if they have permits you wonder uh, if they have a right to have the children work what happens god forbid if something happens to this child is this child the mothers um There is a whole host of issues. Over 50 percent of some schools in New York City, in Manhattan, have illegal children. And I'll tell you something else. Last year, New York City taxpayers were spending twenty eight thousand dollars per public school student. The prize was being in the bottom half of the country for reading and writing this year. Because of the illegals, we are now spending thirty eight thousand dollars Per student, there is no word on whether the illegals are coming into the grade that corresponds with their age or ability. It is an absolute nightmare.
0: Uh, incredible. I'm so sorry you have to go through that. It's it's a great city when, when it's great. But man, they they are messing it up day by day. Uh, Jacqueline Tobaroff, uh, be sure to grab a copy of her new book, Super Moms Activated: Twelve Profiles of Hero Moms, Leading the American Revival, featuring our own Sarah Gonzalez. You can pick it up right now wherever you get your books. Jacqueline, thanks so much for coming on the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, we have another new low from Joe Biden, this time on The Economy, where only 36% of people say they actually approve of Biden's handling of uh, this particular issue. 65% of Democrats and only 8% of Republicans. You'd want that number to be a little higher, uh, just so in case you're not a political uh, nut. You Just you'd like it to be better than one third of people. Foreign policy, a little bit better at 42%. All this seems relatively high to me. It should be more like 0%. That's kind of the area I was figuring it might be in. But 36% is the lowest in this particular poll, at least when it comes to his economic handling. And who can blame America when they look at this guy and they say, wow, this guy really, really sucks. Let's hand him another new low. Hey,
2: Joe, new low. hey, Joe, new low, hey, Joe, please
0: go. Please get out, please. Um, By the way, I don't know if you'd call this a new low, but he continues to, he has this weird intersection, Joe Biden, uh, of um, uh, he's a massive liar on one street. And then the other street comes this way, a perpendicular meeting right in the middle um, of him being incoherent. So he lies and then he gets caught, but he forgets forgets that he's already told that lie and then lies about it again, sometimes changing the story completely. I'm talking about personal stories from his actual life. Uh, CNN has a new, uh, fact checkout. I know, I don't know what to tell you. It's actually from CNN where they go through just one speech of Joe Biden's. Uh, first of all, he tells this Amtrak story where he uh, says he talks to a woman named Ange as he's on his way to see his mom who is sick and in the hospice. And, and she comes up and grabs his cheek and says, Joey baby. And Biden says he thought the secret service was going to shoot her. Um, And when he corrects her, she just says uh, something about getting a million miles on Air Force planes. Do you know how many times, how many miles you've traveled on Amtrak? Joe says, no, Ange, I don't know. And he says, we just had a retirement interrupt in Newark. You traveled 100, an average of 117 days a year. That's 1.285 million miles. I don't want to hear any more about the Air Force. Now, not only is this a fake story, but it's a horrible story. Who cares how long you've been on a freaking train? Why do you tell this story in every city you go to? He keeps doing, as CNN points out, uh, he keeps telling the story falsely. Biden's story is false in two ways. First, as CNN and others have pointed out before, he could not have possibly had this exchange with Eng. Uh Biden did not reach the million miles flown mark as vice president until September 2015 but she had already died more than a year earlier. Second, as CNN has also noted before Biden's mother was not sick at his home at the time he hit the million miles flown milestone. In fact, she had died more than five years prior. What kind of psychopath makes a story up like that? And if you're going to make up a story like that, make it good, make it something that someone could find interesting. Just a recommendation, but that's not the only one also. Uh, He talked about um, an anecdote that he told as well back in April. He said his grandpop Biden, who died very young, he died in the hospital I was born in six days before I was there. I mean, before I was born, Biden said Biden's claim is false in two ways, says CNN. As conservative media pointed out in April, when Biden said his grandfather had died in the same hospital, I was born in two weeks before I was born. His grandfather, who had worked in the oil industry, Joseph Harry Biden, did die But he died in a hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, in September 1941. The president was born more than a year later in November 1942 and at a different hospital in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Also a different state. But that's pretty close, I guess, for Biden these days. Uh, Biden and his Pittsburgh bridge collapse. You may have heard this one. He says a lot of you were there with me when I was in Pittsburgh. And by the way, the Pittsburgh is the city of bridges. Uh, more bridges in Pittsburgh than any other city in America. You know, who cares? OK, we stop reading uh, travel brochures. Um, I watched that bridge collapse and I got there and I saw it collapse with over 200 feet off the ground going over the valley and it collapsed. It's not true that Biden got there and saw it collapse, says CNN. The collapse occurred at 7 a.m. more than six hours prior to Biden landing in the Pittsburgh area for a scheduled visit that included a speech about the economy and infrastructure. He visited that site after 1 p.m. that day. Also, Biden and the national debt. Unlike the last president, my first two years in office, even with all I've done, I'm the first to cut the federal debt by one trillion seven hundred billion. Well, first of all, the the transcript on White House uh, website corrected him already on this. He did not talk. It's not the debt at all. He's talking about the deficit. So they had to change what he actually said to try to cover the lie. But also, um, as CNN has previously noted, it is highly questionable how much credit. Biden deserves for the $1.7 trillion decline in the deficit since the decline happened overwhelmingly because emergency pandemic spending from the end of President Donald Trump's administration expired as planned. In fact, independent analysts say Biden's own new laws and executive actions have significantly added to current and projected future deficits, not reduced those deficits. This man is not only a liar but he's also completely incoherent in 100 different ways. Now, he's going up, looks like, against Donald Trump. We'll see what happens, of course, in the primary. But if he does get Donald Trump uh, up, we're going to have uh, yet another repeat of this. And honestly, do I want another repeat of this election? No. I had enough of it in 2020. Do I need more of it? Not really. But Donald Trump is, of course, the heavy favorite here to be the nominee from the conservative party, and Joe Biden, in case some, unless something happens uh, to him physically or the Hunter Biden scandal, Sort of circles even more than we uh, are currently seeing it spiral. Uh, you know, looks like that's going to be the matchup. At least that's that would be the favorite right now. Uh, Trump is uh, he bailed on his own press conference. He said he was going to have a press conference to discuss uh, that the 2020 election was fraudulent. A hundred-page report. He said he was going to release, and now he's not going to release it. Uh, now, rather than releasing the report on the uh, stolen election. He's now going to put this into court, he says, on his lawyer's advice. Definitely not a good idea to go out there and talk about any of this stuff for Donald Trump right now. He needs to protect his, uh, his legal future. I said this the other day, too. He should be paying the legal expenses for every single one of the co-conspirators. We all know he's got lots of money. Donald Trump brags about this all the time. Got tons of cash. What better time to use it? If he actually wants to stay out of prison, now's the time to use your money. If you got $10 billion in the bank, as you say you do... Why wouldn't you spend hundred million of it to make these people happy for a few months? I don't understand why you do that. I do understand why you'd keep the press conference out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We'll see if he actually has any evidence. At this point, honestly, do you believe that he does? I mean, you got to have high skepticism, don't you, at this point? Um, I will say he has now made an announcement, though, on whether he's going to handle or go to the debate at all. He says no, he's not going to go to the debate. I think this is uh, uh, understandable from him in a game theory standpoint. Uh, Not great for the country, not great for the Republican Party, not great for, you know, picking a candidate. I think it would be great if he was there so he could argue with these people and see who has the best argument for our future. Debates are important. They're not the whole story. Um, Donald Trump will instead basically give counter-programming to Tucker Carlson and go to uh, Tucker Carlson's Twitter show and do the interview there. The exact timing on the platform of the interview with Mr. Carlson remain unclear. But if it goes ahead as currently planned, the de- debate night counter-programming would serve as an, op- an act of open hostility. And look, I don't think there's any chance he's going he's to put it on there two hours beforehand. He wants to go and counter-program. He doesn't like that, what Fox says about him. He doesn't see a real reason for people to listen to the other candidates. He thinks the nomination should be his. He believes he won last time and it should just be handed to him. Um, And he's up by 45 or 50 points. So, like, if you're the manager in that situation, it's like saying, like, should I throw a pass? It's the fourth quarter and we're up 21 points. No, you should probably run the ball uh, into the line and run the clock out. And I understand why he's doing that. I just kind of wish we could hear from all the candidates. Um, We'll be back with more here on uh, Trump's statements because uh, one caught the eye of Al Sharpton and he jumped to an incredible racial conspiracy that I've certainly never heard of before. We'll uh, let you know uh, and let you judge whether he's accurate on this one coming up next.
1: Using uh, a Mm. word that rhymes with the N-word. Donald Trump himself, their leader, using the term rigors, which wait, uh, clearly yeah. r- rhymes with the N word. Well, yeah, I mean, this is not, <laughs> wait, not wait. ten years ago, or uh, thirty years ago when we marched against him under Central Park Five. No, uh, I'm talking about he in within the last twenty four hours used the term riggers. Recent is this rhyming? The kind of party the Republicans want to show the That's country the that they are. Party. There's no wonder independents are running away from them. To identify with blatant racism and blatant blatant violence racism is not
0: the party that we need. And as uh, I I've never been a Republican. All right, that's enough. So, so bla- It's blatant <laughs> racism now to use words that rhyme with the N-word? That's the new standard? Can we use trigger? Can we use bigger? Were the cranberries racist when they recorded linger? I don't know. I'm very confused by this brand new standard. Now apparently a word that rhymes with the N-word is now... As he said, quote, blatantly racist. I mean, I know Al Sharpton is an idiot. Okay, we all know Al Sharpton is an idiot. But like, is there no bottom? Is there absolutely no bottom to what depth will this guy go to to call people racist? Now we've just all double G words are eliminated from the English language. Alert. You've got a brand new standard you need to follow, America. Uh Uh-oh. I'm afraid something bad is about to happen. Don't do it, Dolores. Don't do it. Finger! Racial slur! Linger! Non-stop racism from Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries. You heard it here! She should... Oh, gosh. She passed away recently, didn't she? So... I guess we can't punish her, but we can punish anyone who's ever sang, or sang the song in their cars. By the way, Wednesday, debate coverage. Don't miss it. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu. And YouTube.com slash America for extended coverage. Don't miss it.